for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and this time this week we're talking all about collaboration and I'm joined by an expert in this Deb Mashek. Welcome Deb who has just written a book called Collaborate which is quite clever um, and we're going to explore the importance of collaboration and how we can really work on creating collaborative cultures and why we should in our organisations. So welcome Deb. Do you want to introduce yourself better than I'm sure I have? Such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And like you said, I am an expert in collaboration. So I'm a social psychologist on a mission to make wonderful collaborations in the workplaces. So a lot of times collaboration is experienced as painful, as frustrating, as deflating. And I think we can do better. So I help individuals, I help teams, and I help organizations really level up their collaboration game. And I suppose starting it, I mean, I know that some people are more naturally collaborative than others. And actually, you allude to that on your website in terms of you sort of say how to build collaborative relationships, even if you'd rather work alone, sort of saying some people actually prefer not to. And I wonder whether, um, certainly, actually, I do like collaborating with people, but I've become much more independent since I haven't had to go into an office every day. Sometimes it feels almost quicker um, to get on with things, doesn't it, without the relationships. So why should we want to um, collaborate? Why is it an important uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, atmosphere or culture or thing to do. First of all, I just want to pick up on the last part of that question there. This idea of, is it a value? Is it a skill? Is it a way of working? It's all those things. And this is one of the challenges with this whole topic, because it's such a black box. We use the word to, to stand in for like single kind of working together there possibly is. But of course, there are a lot of different ways of working together. And when I'm talking about collaboration, I'm really thinking about this amazing place where we're sharing information, we're altering our activities, we're sharing resources, and we're, we're actually learning from each other in a way that makes us better able to do our own work and obviously to achieve whatever this, this shared goal is. And so when you're in that space, your question of, well, what the heck is at stake? Why is this a good thing? And when it goes well, you end up with happy people who are engaged with their work, who are bringing their quote best selves, which means that the the good ideas are coming coming into the space. They're bubbling up. Uh, Timelines move along beautifully. So you get better baton handoffs. Things are, are, it's like the, the gears and the clock are actually turning and working the way they're supposed to, which means you're getting 
products and projects to market quicker. It means you've got happier clients. And all of this, of course, is feeding into robust bottom lines. So everything matters from timelines, bottom lines, well-being, innovation, when collaboration is going well. And of course, when collaboration is going so well, you get the flip side of that, which is, is devastating for individuals. It's devastating for companies. Yeah, and I suppose it's quite a, a lighthearted observation, but actually, if, if when you think in an organisation that you, you want people to share information in order to be creative, in order not to repeat mistakes, uh, to come up with you know the best solutions to support each other's loads and loads of reasons as to why information sharing is so important. And again, actually, probably that's one of the side effects of people working remotely and not having the informal collaboration. Maybe we have to be more purposeful about it. Um, so I can definitely see that. And, and externally, you know, if we're not in direct competition with somebody, actually partnerships and collaboration, again, helps us all be more successful and create better solutions and products. So it's definitely a, I can feel the sort of output of collaboration is really synergistic. Um, so certainly uh, I can certainly see it's very important, I suppose. Um, if I'm thinking about it, though, from an organisational point of view, which obviously the majority of our listeners would be in a situation and um, they might want to review their organisation and think, well, how do I know whether we are collaborative or how do I measure collaboration? Because as you said, is it a value or is it um, a verb or is it just something that's unsaid? Uh, is it authentic? How would you sort of recognise it in an organisation? So I'll... I'll begin with the caveat that I, I've got diagnostic tools that do all of this. And so there are absolutely ways you can measure this. Those diagnostic tools are organized around this framework I've created, which is the collaboration ecosystem. And I can, I would love if, if you're interested to talk through kind of what those different parts are and the kinds of things that a people professional would and I think should be looking at to, to figure out their collaborations, if their architecture, if their ecosystem is actually able to support collaboration. Do you, do you think we should go through all the, yeah, all the quadrants? Not, yeah, let's go through. Yeah, because you've got your full quadrant model. And I think you've got reference materials, haven't you, that you'll let me put on those show notes, which people can go to if they want to access those reference materials and potentially your diagnostics. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one is, do you have collaborative individuals? And you mentioned at the top there that, yeah, some people really like to do this collaboration thing. Other people don't so much. When you're looking at collaborative individuals, there are really these, these three parts. First of all, do people have the skill set to be good collaborators? Here we're talking about things like communication, music project management, time management, document, um, you know, being being able to organize their documents and actually put the documents back in that shared folder where they're supposed to be, like really basic things like that are collaboration skills. Important, simply not the end of the end of the story. You also need individuals who have positive mindsets around collaboration. So super important because a lot of us have been in these collaborative experiences in the past that, man, they leave burn marks where, you know, somebody stole the credit or somebody totally let you down, or you thought everyone was doing their fair share of the work. And then you end up having to give away multiple, multiple weekends to, to fulfill what other people said they were going to do to pick up other people's slunk. When you've had those experiences, your attitudes toward collaboration start to start to degrade. It's like it's more trouble than it's worth. People don't do what they say they're going to do. I could go further and faster alone. Um, so, so you've got the skill set piece. They've almost learned these beliefs about collaboration not being a good thing or being a good thing. 
because they've been in crappy situations yeah. before and I totally get it. They're, you know, they're humans. They're smart to learn that other people can disappoint. And so that's important. So you've got the skill sets, the mindsets, but then you also have dispositions. So as a function of our, our historical learning and relationships, we, we can learn whether or not other people in general can be counted on. We can learn whether or not we believe that we are somebody who other who can accept help, for instance, or who, you know, I don't have to do it all. I believe other people will show up when they say they're going to show up, those sorts of things. So those are all components in that individual quadrant. And, you know, so thinking about for an organization, how do you hire and attract those individuals who have those skill sets, mindsets, and dispositions, but also what are the professional development or upskilling opportunities that we can bring into our organizations to help people level up on those things? So that's kind of the individual quadrant. How about I take a, a breath because you might have follow-up questions. Yeah, if you don't mind, then actually I was going to say, should we just, actually, let's just briefly say what the four are for anyone who's wondering what two, three, and four, four are. And then we come back, I'll ask you some questions on this first one, and then we can take the others in turn. So you just want to explain- this was individual, explain two, three, and four high level, and then we'll. Yeah, so you want individ collaborative individuals, collaborative relationships, undertaking collaborative action within the context of a collaborative culture. So you've okay. got individuals, relationships, action, culture. Okay, so that's kind of your your model of, of how collaborative your organization is, and there's different elements that you could try and dial up or down because of it. So and the individuals, the um, the skills the mindset, um, skills and communication mindset and disposition. Um, I suppose I felt that the disposition that really links to trust, doesn't it? A lot of that. And if some of these are learned and otherwise, uh, what to what degree can you change people? I suppose. So if someone comes in who's fundamental, because some people are just naturally ha have a naturally trusting disposition and want to collaborate with others and others are deeply untrusting, whether that's learned at a young age or not. Um, but to what degree can that be influenced? So this is the cool thing as a social psychologist, the lens that I look at all of this with is a very simple equation offered by the father, the founder of social psychology, Kurt Lewin. And he said that behavior is a function of the person and their environment, which means even if you have a person who's not particularly collaborative, you can nudge collaborative behaviors by thinking about those layers of the environment around them. So the layers of the environment are the people, the way the action is, and or the, sorry, the relationships, the way you've um, kind of constructed the action and also that culture. So even if you have somebody who personally is not particularly oriented toward collaboration or, you know, by virtue of their learning history, not just in the workplace, but in their personal lives that other people can't be trusted, you can still nudge collaborative behavior. All that said, more directly to your question of can can this stuff be changed? It can absolutely be changed through coaching, through um, through therapy, and obviously those are really expensive modalities to to get shifts in, for example, personality or or some of these background variables. And other things like uh, mindsets amenable to coaching certainly. Skill sets is absolutely amenable to professional development. There are all just all these things that are easy to teach people how to do if we think to bother to try to teach them in the first place. Yeah, I suppose I think I could, I mean, this might fit into culture, but I suppose if you had collaboration as a value for argument's sake, or a bit, or even it could be a competency, actually, in your um, organization, you could define what these things look like, couldn't you, and have those conversations uh, with people. I mean, 
it was quite interesting the example you used about putting things away in shared folders which wouldn't have occurred to me actually that's maybe people don't do it to necessarily not be collaborative they're just not aware of being part of this bigger ecosystem and that just needs to have that kind of awareness I mean you hear it all language some people are more naturally we um, as opposed to I aren't they there's certain things that you can learn the way people communicate to to appear more collaborative you can listen for that at the point of hire, right? So those are things that you can ask somebody, tell us about a complicated project that you are involved in. And obviously you're both listening for their competence and, yeah. you know, their abilities and whatnot, but it's all about, I, 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 I did this, I did that. When there's nobody else somehow involved in this story, that to me is a huge red flag that oh, this person uh, is is not able to see and value other people's contributions, much less welcome them in and invite them in. And I have to share a story with you. So the book, um, Collaborate, came out about a month ago. And I got this message on LinkedIn from someone who said, Deb, I'm, I was sitting down last night reading your book. And I think of myself as a really good collaborator, but I got to your, your list. There's like 20 ways that collaboration goes off the rails. I got to your list. And I froze because I realized I was totally leaving colleague hanging on a project unintentionally because I just hadn't followed through on this thing, which meant I was being the log jam and there was no way she was going to be able to move forward. I put your book down. I went to my computer. I opened up our document. I got my stuff done and continued on. And so there's there's a self-awareness challenge yeah. here with these individuals where, like you said, who knew that? leaving or getting the documents back in the shared folder so people have the fodder they need to actually continue on with the shared work is important. Of yeah. course it is once you say it, but bringing awareness to the way that our individual actions um, enable or totally undermine other people's work, super important. Yeah, it's, it is interesting because it's actually, it's just lack of self-awareness perhaps sometimes for people becoming a little bit too isolated or too independent because um and there are some people who have probably have never even learned this, even though they might be mean to be team players, that it's it's proactively sharing information as well. So that example, someone was in a log jam, but even just thinking, oh, that person needs that is asked me for something, telling them that I can get to it today or can't get to it today, just proactively giving information so that they don't have to kind of be hanging, waiting to to do something. That's that makes a difference as well, isn't it? It's just self-awareness about being um, part of a bigger, a bigger machine. Okay. And on the Quickly on the other side of that, being you know, so many of us are conflict avoidant and not not being willing to say, "Hey, Lucinda, I'm I continue to wait for that thing you promised me five days ago. Please get it to me because I I'm unable to move forward without it." Instead, a lot what a lot of people do is just let it get under their skin. Start telling them stories about how Lucinda doesn't care about our shared work or she doesn't even know that I'm um you know what a fossil she's creating for me and it. it you know, it fosters and turns into this, this big negative thing about Lucinda, as opposed to, wow, I should just let, let her know that I need this thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ask for it. And that's, um that's an interesting one, actually, because I was thinking, when you think about things like the five dysfunctions of a team, and that sort of thing, what you actually need to have is a little bit of healthy conflict and openness in order to build a team, which the team is ultimately about, you know, a collaborative body, isn't it? And this is also the foundation of your third point, I suppose, which is culture, it feels. I'm not sure if, it's, if that's the fourth point, but I can see how ultimately if we bring in people who are collaborative, make sure they feel self-aware about sort of the behaviours of collaboration, both sort of unconscious and consciously, we speak up in a in a positive way and encourage others to do so, then you're starting to build a collaborative culture, aren't you, from the inside out? 
so where do we go next then? Do we go to relationships next? That's your second point. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about relationships. So you have individuals, obviously those individuals are in a bunch of relationships with their colleagues, every, every dyad or every two people, that's a relationship. Then you get these networks of people in teams. And then these networks of networks of people in departments and divisions and across the entire organization. And maybe that's a big multinational, or maybe it's, you know, the, the, the one little office in downtown, it can be anything. But this idea of when we are in a relationship with somebody, there are two critical dimensions for this relationship quality. The first one, or sorry, for this relationship functioning as as a collaboration. The first one is relationship quality, which is simply how good or bad do I feel about you, about us? Do I trust you? Do I like you? Do I believe that you have a clue what my needs and interests are and that you're actually tracking them? Things like that. The second dimension is called interdependence, and it's the extent to which your or our outcomes are dependent on the other person's behaviors. This is all about how work has been structured, how it's measured, how it's rewarded. So really basic things like, you know, we say that we really value collaboration. Somehow the only metrics we're tracking are about um, an individual's performance guess what? You're going to get individual performance in competition. You're not going to get collaboration. So so when you have really high relationship quality within the context of high interdependence, that's where I say the relationships are collaborate. And when you have, you know, basement level relationship quality with high interdependence. So my wagon is hitched to your, your ill-mannered horses. And I, I dislike it. That's where things are really collaborate hate, where it's miserable to be in those relationships. Who knew you could get so many plays on the word collaborate? Oh my gosh. There's so many. Yeah, you're brilliant. Right. Okay. Fantastic. So, and that does, it does build, and and actually a lot of the principles for individual is about relationships because it's like that next stage up and and, um, teams and things like that, isn't it? That, That piece, but you're talking there also this does link again, it's building into culture, thinking about it, because if you put in place systems and processes for competition, like rule structures, then you're going to create less collaboration potentially. So you have to think about what processes and systems are going into the organization and what they're actually generating. And this, I should say, is why I always talk about this as an ecosystem. These, All of these parts are mutually amplifying, mutually limiting, that if you pull a thread over here on individuals, it starts to have an impact on those relationships, on the way they're working together, on the culture and, and vice versa. So, you know, it's it's this whole system thing, which I think is, has totally been missed in a lot of the research on this, where it, it talks, you know, we, we zoom in like the, the simple solution of we need a professional development piece over here. But if you think holistically about it, you see it's really a complex, very complex fabric that enables the best work and service to the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a whole cultural piece. So um, where we, which next is the next one would be action or culture, which would you go for? Sure. Yeah. So let's talk about collaborative action. So, you know, anybody who's worked with a, a project manager, anybody like that, this idea of how do you actually move projects forward? How do you move work forward? And there are really these five big steps. One is figuring out what, what could we do? So 
How do we go from all the possibilities in the world? How do we how do we go find them and cast this wide net? And it's this very generative time. Who's invited into those conversations? Uh, which voices are we hearing from? Again, you know, is it the usual suspects around the table generating the big ideas? That's not a particularly collaborative approach because this whole what could we do? You could ask everybody in the organization to brainstorm possibilities, for instance, maybe that's ridiculous. If you've got tens of thousands of people, this idea of we could be casting a wider net. And then how do we move from that to what should we do? So how do we take a range of ideas, figure out where the enthusiasms are, figuring out, you know, what what makes sense from a, a cost benefit analysis, what makes sense from, you know, the, the mission, the screens of the mission, the values, all of that of the organization. And then Finally, you get to this point of, well, how are we going to do it? And have we taken the time as a team to, to really write out two-page vision statement, for instance, of this is what we're trying to do and why? Do we have in place a theory of change that explains why we think this domino needs to fall and then this domino and this domino? But, so what could we do? What should we do? How will we do it? And then just actually doing it and moving things along and who holds that container for the collaboration, um, extra important when there's nobody with with positional authority just to like say you must do this or you know I'm dictating that you do this now. But when you have groups of equals coming together or people with different stakes, different interests, who they want to do something together, but who who's really holding that, creating the sturdy container for the process to unfold. And it can be everything from who's writing the agendas to who's actually, you know, putting that calendar hold on, you know, does that always seem to fall to the same person? All different ways you can think about this. And then the final piece of action is how do you evaluate whether this shared work is still serving the needs and the interest of the participating individuals? So you know, a lot of organizations have their their KPIs, but it's really about the outputs and the metrics around the product. Do we pause and ask people around the table, how was this for you? And, you know, are are you feeling listened to? Um, do, are there needs that you have that we have somehow inadvertently stopped paying attention to? Are there things that we could do differently in our in our next collaboration to be more responsive, to be to make this a more fulfilling experience for everybody. So that's really about being very genuine as well, isn't it? So you, you, you wouldn't do that. Well, you could go through the motions, but it's kind of no point in, in doing that. And it's very much about uh, people. Again, we talked about the we word, isn't it? But asking questions and genuinely listening to the answers, I, I guess, you know, collaborating. This is all ringing true of good old seven habits. I've sort of coming through here. Seek first to understand. And also then you kind of get the win-win and, and those sort of things. So it all kind of hangs together. But going back and actually saying, you know, what could we do better in this type uh, of thing and and really wanting to genuinely understand and be interested in, in the answer. Um, are these um, one of the things we talked about earlier, I don't know if it's in the culture, but um, I think we talked before we came on on air was about how you can nudge others into being collaborative. I guess some of these questions might work for this. So how could we do this or how could we work together more, I, I guess? Are there other suggestions that you know if you find yourself and I know lots of our listeners are an HR department of one um, they may not be uh, they may not have as much positional power as they would like to have so they need to either get people to collaborate with them or they need to encourage others to think collaboratively have you got any sort of nudging tips or statements that people could use 
Yeah. So I really am fascinated by this idea of where we don't have authority. How do we exert influence around developing these collaborative behaviors? And to me, some of the best questions are simply, what's at stake if we work together and this goes really, really well? And then on the opposite, what's at stake if we try to work together and this totally falls apart? Because you, what you do there is start to elevate the sincere fears as well as the hopes and dreams that other people around the table have from their position. So whether it's, you know, the marketing director in conversation with the sales director, uh, really important to, it also starts to bubble up certain assumptions people are making about other groups of people and what they're interested in. But uh, so other questions are, what does, what would an amazing outcome look like for you? What are you hoping to learn from this, to gain from this? So the idea that there are ultimately individuals involved here. So finding out what's driving them as a, as a person and valuing that because we can often design our shared work in a way that gives somebody else a new experience or opens up a new network for them or gets them a new line or something that they could add on their CV. Because this is one of my, my bugaboos about collaboration is it's, it's tossed around Literally is this kumbaya, it's like some combination of sliced bread and the bee's knees and the best tool for every problem. And, you know, we should not be collaborating because it feels good or because we think it's, quote, the right thing to do. It's that it really needs to be related to an outcome that's valued by the individual stakeholders, which means we all need to have incentives for why we're trying to do this. And so the only way you can know what's driving other people or what's in it for other people is to ask them. What would make this worth your while? Seems obvious, but absolutely. <laughs> Probably not not that common. Okay, great. So, so th those are ways in which we can find that, that out from people. So all of these are going to build into a sense of a culture um, then. And, and so what's how does this start to the ecosystem fit in? Yeah, so the, the culture quadrant also has five big questions. If you, so all of this, I, I should clarify is about driving behavior. So you want collaborative behavior. How do you get that behavior? You need those individuals, you need the relationships, you need the action and you need culture in which this can all unfold. If you want any behavior in an organization, you need to be able to answer yes to five questions. First of all, is it possible? Is collaboration even possible here? Is it easy? Have we made this easy? Is it normative? Is it rewarding? And sometimes for the laggards who are reticent to engage in collaborative culture or in collaboration behaviors, is it required? How do you get those five things? Well, if you wanna make collaboration easy, look at your interfaces. Um, so, or sorry, look at your infrastructure. So for example, when we first moved from, um, a lot of us first moved from fully in-person to fully remote, you know, March 2020, we realized we didn't have the infrastructure in place for some really basic things. Like a lot of companies didn't have a published directory where people could look up contact information for somebody in another department because previously they would walk down the hall and go find that person. So gosh, it's hard to collaborate with someone if you can't reach them or you don't know they exist. We also, a lot of us had not used video conferencing technology or, you know, Zoom rooms or this, you know, team meet this meat thing, like what is this all about? Um, so that the infrastructure wasn't actually there to make collaboration possible. Thankfully, we were able to problem solve that generally fairly yeah. quickly. So 
once it's possible, then you have to make it easy. And we do that through our interfaces. So it might be the way we've structured meetings or the way we've thought about what information is visible versus not visible. Or have we, um, do we have a company-wide policy that we only use, you know, these, these collaborative tools and not these tools? Because if you haven't, what happens is individual teams start to adopt particular technologies or particular approaches as very precious. They become very attached to them, which makes it hard for people to then move across and across teams or across departments, which means you're you're building up silos as opposed to taking them down. So once it's possible, you've made it easy, then the idea is have we made it normative through communities by talking about collaborative work, by holding it up is work done do we if we look at it in um or look at say recent newsletters to shareholders or to to company-wide distribution emails or whatnot do we see examples of collaboration being noticed observed celebrated in a way that says this is just the way we do things around here i.e you're setting up norms then the next step up there is have we made collaboration rewarding which gets back to this idea of what are, have we figured out the incentives to actually make this something people want to do? Because, you know, as any, any parent or pet owner will tell you what gets rewarded gets repeated. And so you can say, we love collaboration till you're blue in the face, unless you're actually rewarding it, you're not going to get it in any sort of a persistent ingrained um, way. And then finally, at this level of have we made it required, you can, if you need to, institute policies around things like, you know, no, we don't green light any product until um, at least three departments have vetted it and given it the green light. Or when there's an ad hoc committee for, you know, this thing or that thing, we need representation across at least three different levels of the organization. Um, so, so those are just some of the ways that you can think about culture change and notice that all of those connect back to all of those other quadrants around the individual's relationships and the action, which is why this is that ecosystem model to drive behaviors that we say we want. Yeah, there's loads of links on there. And things about rewarding and, rec and um, required as well. So that might link, link to you know, performance management or systems um, and um, you know, recognition systems or you know, whether or not somebody would be called up in terms of policies. And actually, um, I know we're sort of reaching towards the end of the podcast. What this... Um, what I would, would be interested in your opinion on, I've read a few things recently, I've seen a couple of examples, and I saw one just on a social media where um, obviously an independent HR professional had gone into an organisation and had discovered that there were various, um, let's call them cliques, or some people call it cliques, uh, in this organisation. In one particular area was uh, really, uh, anyone who came into it was, was ostracised, so it was really hard to bring new people in, so she didn't want to recruit others into it she was relatively new in or a consultant I think so what happens where you find that a culture isn't collaborative you know isn't collaborative what can you actually do to try and start to address it I realize it wouldn't be a quick fix yeah and it's such a good question so if we here let's zoom down to the level of a particular team because obviously a team can develop kind of an internal culture too yes. I would first want to look at where did that that tightness come from? So this notion of the the click or the clique, and it's um, sometimes because they are working so dang well together, they really have this stable relationship 
that they have really, really high trust together, that they've got their outcomes sequenced and an external person coming in actually threatens to disrupt that. And so then, you know, you can kind of understand why they might be reticent, in which case there's an opportunity to engage them in, in the solution. So, you know, I hear you saying that you don't have enough capacity. We're trying to bring somebody in this is a concern we have, help us problem solve it. How would you unpack that? The other thing to think about is how do you, with that team, talk about, um, I love the, the word organization because it tells us that organizations are made up of organs. You want all of the organs in the organization to be working harmoniously towards some shared goal. So engaging perhaps a group coach to work with that team, say in what way, you know, we're observing this, we see some pros, we see some cons, but it's making it hard for other people to come in. And so in what ways is the fact that they can't come in hurting your ability to function as one of the organizations working toward this same shared goal as everybody else in the organization? And again, what could we do to problem solve it? On the onboarding side of things, um, and I, I'll give a shout out to the book here. There's this thing called the mass check matrix that talks about, we, we mentioned those two dimensions of relationship quality and interdependence, how you move through that matrix really matters and is relevant to onboarding. So if you're bringing somebody else onto the team, focus first on developing that relationship quality, because if you focus on the interdependence first, you're going to get yourself locked into that collaborate quadrant. And so um, thinking about how our onboarding sequences, what are we actually doing to help people create relationships, which means to know and to be known by the other people on this team. And again, maybe it makes sense in this case to ask the team to help co-construct that what that onboarding yeah. looks like. Them. So yeah. maybe help them see some of the problems that that that, that, um, that creates that for them, how to how, how, help them see how it could make their lives easier if they had somebody involved. Yes, it goes back to that awareness thing again. Yeah. And I guess you don't know what the reason behind it is as well. Um, So all of those things, which would be your your sort of going in, you know, what do we need? And some of the action stuff that we went through in terms of asking questions and listening as well to answers, what do we really genuinely want to get out of this? So, Deb, I think it's it's a really interesting topic. Who knew that um, there's so much to go into in terms of collaboration? If people want to know more about this or, in fact, you know, find out more about your book, and congratulations on your bestseller status. Um, how do they find you? And we'll put all of these links in the show notes as ever. Yeah, so I'll I'll send you um, links to my website. So debmashek.com, as well as to, I have a, a twice monthly newsletter. That's one simple tip where whenever I'm thinking about, I, I put it in, into a negative piece of advice and send it out just twice a month. So I love that one. And then I'm on social media single day between, LinkedIn and TikTok. So I love continuing the conversation there. And I'm going to go ahead and send you both the, uh, the Mashic matrix. There's this beautiful handout yes, as well. Really love the image, isn't it? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. As well as the, this ecosystem model. So people can see all of these moving parts and I made them both so they could be beautifully printed and hung up above your desk as, as conceptual reminders of, Ooh, here's some things we should be doing. Yes, one of the disadvantages of podcasts. So I, I'm just looking at this lovely matrix and it is a, a beautiful sort of mind map with lots of the basically everything you've explained all in a sheet of A4 or whatever size you want it. So we'll put the links into uh, this episode, links, hruprising.com and the episode links 
and um, you can access that if that's of, of use to you. So Deb, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And I was excited when I was researching you to learn that we're both practical inspiration authors. So that's a I fun know. and expected Who connection. I'll have, to, I'll have to look up Alison and, and so, <laughs> see if she's listening. So brilliant. Um, yeah, and both, both did attend the um, book challenge as well, didn't we? We so, did. Yeah. Shout out for that. If you have a business book in you, 10 days, you get a book proposal. It's an amazing experience. So it really is. Awesome. It really is anyone who wants to do it. Who who knew that? Well, who knew if you, if you think you've got a book in it, the 10 day business challenge um, is definitely one to go for. Uh, but was it business book challenge? Right. Let me stop the recording and say goodbye. Otherwise, we'll carry on chatting, won't we? So thanks again, Deb, and um, have a great rest of the week. Thank you. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.